Okay, Assalamualaikum. Salam sejahtera. Good afternoon everyone. Uh, okay, can can you guys uh, hear me? Boleh dengar ke? Okay, uh, kita sedang menyemput rakan-rakan uh, media kita untuk bersama-sama kita pada hari ini. Uh, Pertama-tamanya saya mengucapkan selamat datang kepada semua uh, untuk sesi uh, engagement uh, tentang berkaitan dengan uh, vaksinasi remaja ya. So pada hari ini bersama-sama saya dengan pasukan Kementerian Kesihatan saya ada beberapa pakar-pakar perunding dan pakar-pakar kesihatan awam dan juga pakar di hospital untuk memberi taklimat kepada kita semua berkaitan dengan vaksinasi remaja pertamanya kita saya ada Dr. Kalai Kalai Rasu yang merupakan pengarah Institute Clinical Research daripada NIH. Beliau akan memberikan sedikit taklimat berkaitan dengan efikasi vaksinasi dan akan ada beberapa data tentang pengalaman di dalam negara kita berkaitan vaksin yang telah kita gunakan COVID-19. Selepas itu, kita akan mendapatkan sedikit pandangan daripada Dr. Nick Khairuddin, Nick Yusof yang merupakan pakar perunding penyakit berjangkit kanak-kanak daripada Hospital Raja Perempuan Zainab II Kota Baru dan beliau akan memberikan overview berkaitan dengan vaksinasi remaja dan kita ada juga bersama kita pada hari ini Datuk Dr. Zulkifli Ismail yang merupakan pakar perunding kanan kanak-kanak dan juga pakar perunding kardiologi kanak-kanak daripada Hospital KPJ Selangor Uh, dan uh, juga uh, kita ada juga doktor, uh, mereka akan memberikan pandangan dari, dari segi uh, apa itu, uh, kardiologi uh, dan uh, kanak-kanak dan kita juga ada doktor Benedict yang merupakan pakar perunding uh, penyakit berjangkit daripada Hospital Sungai Buloh uh, memberikan maklumat uh, sedikit tentang data di Sungai Buloh ya. Selain itu, kita akan juga akhiri pembentang ketiga merupakan Dr. Seratul Nubaya daripada Family Health Development Division yang bertanggungjawab tentang pelaksanaan program vaksinasi kebangsaan. Jadi, kita akan memberikan masa lebih kurang 10 minit kepada mereka untuk memberikan pembentangan. Lepas itu, kita akan membuka soalan yang berkaitan. So, relevant question with regards to the presentation by the consultants and the specialists following the pembentangan. Sebab itu kita akan teruskan dengan uh, pembentangan berikutnya. Dan hopefully by uh, pembentangan ketiga kita akan uh, kumpulkan semua soalan-soalan itu. Kalau ada soalan sebagainya, kita akan cuba jawab. Dan mereka yang tidak dapat jawab yang detail itu, kita akan uh, memberi jawapan secara bertulis. Ya. Okay, without further ado, uh, saya menjumpul Dr. Kalai Raisu, Farah Sami untuk memberikan pembentangan beliau. ya. Uh, please, uh, Kalai. Uh, selamat uh, tengah hari dan salam sejahtera uh, yang bahagia Datuk Dr. Hisham Shah, our Deputy Director General Health for uh, Research and Technical Support. Uh, bersama saya, saya ada pakar uh, perubatan dan juga dalam pakar kesihatan awam termasuk daripada ahli datang kuasa yang menjalankan kaji sidik keberkesanan um, vaksin COVID-19. So, salam sejahtera dan selamat tengah hari kepada semua. Saya Dr. Kalai, pengarah daripada Institut Pendidikan Klinikal. Saya akan memberi keterangan sedikit tentang kajian-kajian dan juga apa yang kita lihat daripada keberkesanan vaksin yang digunakan dalam program imunisasi COVID-19 kebangsaan iaitu digelar PIK. Dalam program imunisasi PIK, 
setakat 21 September 2021 sejumlah 40.9 juta dos telah pun diberi dan daripadanya 18.7 juta adalah dos lengkap iaitu dua dos telah diberi dan 14 hari selepas itu diiktiraf sebagai lengkap menerima vaksin. Dalam uh, negara kita, kita dapati hampir 80.2% penduduk dewasa telah pun menerima vaksin dan dalam golongan ini hampir 58% sarang iaitu populasi kita telah pun lengkap vaksinasi. Program PIK yang kita kaitkan sekarang sebenarnya melibatkan beberapa vaksin dan antara vaksin yang kita menggunakan daripada peringkat awal ialah vaksin Pfizer, seterusnya vaksin Sinovac dan kemudian AstraZeneca dan baru-baru ini bulan Ogos ialah vaksin CanSino. Vaksin CanSino ialah vaksin yang menggunakan satu dos sahaja untuk melengkapkan vaksinasi. Daripada peratusan vaksin yang telah pun diberi setakat ini, hampir 46% adalah vaksin Pfizer, 45% adalah vaksin Sinovac, 8% adalah vaksin AstraZeneca. Kesemua vaksin yang kita guna pakai dalam program ini, terutamanya dari segi pemilihan dan sebagainya, ia menjalani satu proses yang ketat. Satu ialah ia melalui pemilihan jawatan kuasa di bawah jawatan kuasa akses vaksin negara, JKJF. Dan dari sini data-data diteliti dan pengesuran dibuat kepada jawatan kuasa yang dipengeruskan bersama oleh Menteri Kesihatan dan juga Menteri Mosti. Seterusnya, vaksin tersebut mestilah mendapat kelulusan NPRA iaitu Badan Regulatory Pharmacy kita di negara dan dia mesti memenuhi syarat tertentu iaitu dia mesti selamat, berkualiti dan berkesan. Dalam pandemik COVID-19, untuk kita menjadi satu rujukan, WHO telah pun menetapkan bahawa sesuatu vaksin itu mestilah lebih daripada 50% dari segi efikasinya. Jadi ketiga-tiga syarat ini perlulah dipenuhi sebelum sesuatu vaksin itu dipenuhi. Kedua ialah semua vaksin yang kita mencalonkan dan seterusnya digunakan mesti mempunyai keupayaan untuk mengurangkan tiga perkara. Satu ialah mengurangkan jangkitan. Kedua iaitu yang lebih penting ialah risiko penyakit teruk dalam COVID-19 dan seterusnya ialah mengurangkan peratusan kematian akibat COVID-19. Kita tahu setakat ini hampir 25,000 orang telah pun meninggal akibat COVID-19 di negara kita. Ketiga ialah vaksin itu mestilah berkesan terhadap beberapa kumpulan termasuklah warga emas yang dewasa dan juga sekarang ialah pada golongan remaja dalam bidang pemberian vaksin. Ini adalah trend pesakit COVID-19 yang kita dapat perhatikan. Data yang kita kumpulkan di sini adalah pada peringkat permulaan vaksinasi secara luas di negara kita iaitu 1 April dan sehingga kini iaitu pertengahan bulan September. Apa yang kita lihat ialah apabila peratus vaksinasi itu meningkat dan 
mencapai tahap lebih daripada 40% dan ke atas, kita mula lihat penurunan kes COVID-19. Dalam rajah ini kita lihat bila sampai ke hujung bulan Ogos, apabila telah capai 46% melengkapi vaksinasi, kita mula lihat pengurangan daripada segi pesakit COVID-19. Downtrend trend ini adalah satu yang tetap sekarang dan kita lihat daripada pemberitahuan harian, bilangan ini adalah berkurangan seperti yang kita maklum semalam ialah 14,000 dan kita anggap bahawa ini adalah petanda yang amat baik dari segi efikasi vaksin. Ini adalah tren kematian akibat COVID-19. Ini juga menunjukkan trend yang menurun. Dan apabila kita perhatikan trend ini, semenjak pertengahan bulan September, middle of September, kita dah pun nampak penurunan kes kematian. The trend is on a decline. Biasanya trend ini menurun lebih kurang dua minggu selepas a trend case kemasukan COVID-19 itu menurun. Seperti yang kita lihat tadi, pada penghujung bulan Ogos, kita lihat case-case COVID-19. Hello? Line bubble, please. Dan mulai sekarang, pertengahan bulan September, kita lihat penurunan daripada trend kematian juga. Ini juga menunjukkan satu petanda yang baik. Dan pada peringkat ini, kita lihat hampir 55%, 55% of the population telah pun lengkap di vaksinasi. Dari kematian yang berlaku akibat COVID-19, ini adalah statistik yang terkumpul daripada Mortality Review Committee di mana kita juga lihat penjelasan yang diberi oleh press statement daripada ketua pengarah kesihatan, kita dapat lihat case fatality rate. Ini bermakna setiap 10,000 orang yang terjangkit COVID-19, hampir 115 orang ada kemungkinan meninggal dunia akibat COVID-19. Memberi case fatality rate satu kepuluhan, satu lima peratus. Status ini sebenarnya telah berubah sepanjang setahun ini. Pada tahun lepas, apabila kita menjalankan kajian, pada masa itu, case fatality rate untuk hampir 6,000 kes COVID-19 pada wave 1 dan wave 2, kita lihat angkanya lah hampir satu perpuluhan 2%. Pada masa itu, kita tidak terjejas oleh variant delta. Oleh itu, apabila kita lihat kes fatality pada bulan 9 tahun lepas dan hingga Disember bulan uh, tahun lepas, kes fatality sebenarnya adalah rendah, hampir 0.4% hingga 0.5% sahaja. Manakala uh, bermula uh, pada awal tahun ini dan sehingga ke pertengahan tahun ini, kita lihat secara beransur, kes fatality telah meningkat. Nah, satu daripada sebabnya ialah variant of concern yang telah melanda negara kita. Bukan saja di sini, juga di uh, benua Asia Tenggara dan uh, di negara Asia seluasnya. 
Dalam data yang kita paparkan ini, kita lihat hampir 84% yang meninggal akibat COVID-19 adalah golongan yang mempunyai comorbidity, terutamanya darah tinggi, diabetes, hypercholesterolemia, juga penyakit gantung dan juga penyakit kidney. Mereka adalah biasanya yang golongan berumur usia tinggi, tetapi kita juga lihat keadaan NCD tinggi di golongan orang dewasa juga. So kita lihat ratusan yang meninggal dunia akibat COVID-19 juga merangkumi mereka yang berumur 40 tahun ke atas. Kebiasaannya ialah akibat comorbidity. Dari segi gender difference iaitu antara lelaki dan wanita, peratusan untuk wanita telah mula meningkat dalam beberapa bulan yang lepas. Ini mungkin disebabkan mereka sebelum ini mereka tidak lagi termasuk dalam golongan yang risiko tinggi. So this is something they also observe. Ini adalah model bilangan COVID-19 dari segi active case. Maknanya yang termasuk di dalam hospital dan juga quarantine center dan juga di mana-mana mereka diawasi. So this is actually active cases daripada semua case-case yang kita lihat digelar positif. Dan model ini kita telah wujudkan berdasarkan beberapa parameter. Pertama ialah kita memberi efikasi lebih kurang 60% untuk semua vaksin. Kedua, kita menggunakan model data sebenar sehingga penghujung bulan Ogos. Daripada model ini kita lihat our active cases sebenarnya telah pun sampai pada tahap tertinggi pada penghujung bulan Ogos dan selepas itu active cases juga menurun sama seperti daily cases dan kita harap pada penghujung tahun ini kita pun mencapai lebih kurang 4,000 atau ke bawah kes COVID secara aktif di rawat di hospital kita. Ini juga menunjukkan efikasi vaksin kita dari segi keberkesanannya yang membawa kepada penurunan case-case Jadi kita lihatlah kepada data yang diwujudkan daripada kajian sebenar yang kita lakukan. Now, this is very important because you want to evaluate how effective are the vaccines. Ini adalah satu yang perlu dilakukan sebab ada beberapa portfolio vaksin yang kita gunakan di Malaysia. Jadi kajian Recovam yang dilakukan secara tulus kita mendaftar di bawah National Medical Research Registry dapat kelulusan Medical Ethics Research Board (MRBC). Ini adalah kajian yang bergabung antara the CITF Research Team di mana kita ada Dr. Buha dan Ijek Swa di sini dan juga Mr. Kinesh dan juga daripada ICRNIH yang diketuai oleh Datin Syamini dan Sumin dan juga anggota-anggota lain kita akan namakan kemudian. So mereka menggunakan dua kaedah untuk mengkaji keberkesanan vaksin. So they use two methods. One is a screening method. The other is to use a cohort. Cohort ialah berdasarkan kepada semua kes COVID-19 iaitu pesakit yang kita dapat teliti data mereka. Screening method menggunakan data yang mereka menerima vaksin, fully vaccinated, berbanding dengan mereka yang tidak 
mencukupi atau melengkapi dos vaksin ataupun tidak mengambil vaksin. So, fully vaccinated versus unvaccinated. Based on these two methods, mereka dapat menjana empat data yang amat penting. Satu ialah from the screening method, sama ada vaksin sebenarnya membawa pengurangan peratusan risiko jangkitan, juga sama ada pengurangan peratusan jangkitan bergejala. So this is one outcome from this screening method. They are using the COVID-19 cohort, ialah uh, menunjukkan sama ada pengurangan peratus risiko masuk ke ICU dan juga, juga risiko kematian. So kita lihat data yang kita dapat jana daripada kajian. So caranya ialah sedemikian, uh, data negara dari segi senarai kes COVID-19 digabungkan dengan senarai yang mereka telah diberi vaksin atau tidak, seterusnya mereka disenaraikan daripada data yang uh, termasuk dalam ICU dan juga rekod kematian kebangsaan. Kesemua data ini digabungkan dan dibuat analisis. Ya. Dan apabila kita melakukan analisis, we also take into consideration, especially for the modeling as well as for the analysis uh, using regression method, We look at gender, our nationality, age. More importantly is our comorbidity, very important. This is something that the research team had to work very hard to get enough information to link to the vaccine evaluation outcome. And juga gejala dari segi kemasukan hospital dan juga daripada spesifiknya daripada state-state dalam Malaysia. So untuk kita memberi penerangan lanjut, kita perlu mengambil dua tafsiran. Satu ialah apa itu dos lengkap. Dos lengkap ialah 14 hari selepas menerima dos kedua. Ini tidak termasuk yang Sino, yang baru sahaja bulan 8 dimasukkan. Dos paruh ialah tempo antara dos pertama sehingga 18 hari selepas dos kedua. Jadi itu adalah partially vaccinated. Ini adalah penting sebab analisa menggunakan dua tafsiran ini. Apabila kita menggunakan tafsiran ini dan membuat analisa dari segi kajian uh, population, uh, datanya adalah daripada mereka yang uh, sedemikian. Uh, 1.26 uh, million uh, people have been involved in this particular study. And if you look at this um, study, what you can see is uh, number one. Uh, For those who have partially received vaccinated status, iaitu yang pertama sekali, keberkesanan vaksin secara keseluruhan untuk partially ialah hanya lebih kurang 51% untuk jangkitan COVID-19. Apabila mereka mendapat dos fully status fully vaccinated itu 14 hari selepas dos kedua, keberkesanannya ialah hampir 88%. Ini adalah untuk mengurangkan jangkitan. Ini adalah penting daripada semua dos-dos yang telah diberi kepada um, populasi kita, data daripada 1.2 juta ini dianalisikan. This is the most important uh, outcome that we found out. Dari segi jangkitan bergejala, jadi symptomatic infection from COVID, for those who are fully vaccinated, Uh, vaksin sebenarnya mengurangkan risiko jangkitan simptomatik hampir 86%, uh, iaitu antara 84 hingga 88%. Sekiranya uh, partially vaccinated, 
dia punya keberkesanan hanya 35%. Ini bermaksudnya sekiranya seseorang itu telah menerima kedua-dua dos dan 14 hari selepas itu, vaksin efeksi amat robust. Ia mencapai lebih daripada 86% dan 88% untuk jangkitan berjala dan juga jangkitan. Sebelum tadi saya telah menerangkan, WHO menerangkan pada pandemik efficacy yang paling rendah ialah 50% dan data sebenar Malaysia menunjukkan tahapnya adalah amat tinggi. Kedua ialah kemasukan ke unit rawatan rapi. Ini adalah data daripada COVID-19, 1.6 million population again daripada semua yang telah diberi vaksinasi. Again, overall, kemasukan ke dalam ICU, for those who are fully vaccinated, the reduction of ICU risk is as high as 83%. Very important. Keberkesanan vaksin mengurangkan kemasukan ke ICU ialah 83% di kalangan mereka yang ada COVID-19. Tapi sekiranya mereka hanya mencapai keberkesanan separa iaitu incompletely vaccinated, insufficiently in the time period, keberkesanan adalah rendah 38% sahaja. Jadi macam tadi, untuk gejala dan penyakit sahaja, kita nampak dua dos adalah amat penting, sama juga untuk kemasukan ICU. Seseorang itu mesti memenuhi dos kedua dan mencapai status penyakit untuk menikmati efikasi yang tinggi. Antara vaksin-vaksin yang kita telah gunakan, kita juga dapat analisa data dari segi keberkesanannya. On that account, if you look at AstraZeneca, for ICU reduction is as high as more than 90%. Similarly, for Pfizer, is more than 90%. For uh, Sinovac, is as close to 80%, 75% to 79%. And all these vaccines, if you have completed your dose and fully vaccinated, they have very high efficacy to reduce ICU risk. If your single dose or incomplete within the vaccination time, uh, they are below the 50% mark. Uh, therefore, you are higher risk of the ICU admitted. The AstraZeneca data itu nampak sedikit tinggi untuk dose pertama. Ini adalah perbezaan masa antara mereka yang menerima dose kedua dan uh, dose pertama sebab AstraZeneca sebenarnya adalah jarak yang amat jauh dan efficacy-nya meningkat dalam tempoh itu. So, dia hampir kepada dos kedua sebenarnya. Dan juga bilangan mereka yang menerima exosolita adalah rendah berbanding dengan Pfizer dan Sinovac. Jadi, datanya mungkin berubah untuk masa datang. So, untuk simpulan, so in terms of a summary, exosolita reduce the risk of ICU admission by 96%. Pfizer by 92% and Sinovac by 77%. This is for death, kematian. Sama juga populasi 1.26 juta pesakit COVID-19. Ada semua yang telah pun menerima vaksin. Kita lihat. Secara overall, those who are fully vaccinated, death is reduced by as high as 88%. The range is 87 to 88%. So, amat tinggi the reduction of that. And if you are only partially vaccinated, it's only about 50% for that purpose, for reduction of that risk. 
And again, if you compare the three vaccine portfolios, all of them were fully vaccinated. The, uh, the reduction of uh, death impact is higher than 80% uh, for uh, Sinovac, 90% uh, and above for both Pfizer and AstraZeneca. So the message is very clear. Those are fully vaccinated get the maximum benefit from the vaccine, both for disease, uh, I mean, symptomatic COVID, for reduction for ICU admission and reduction of death risk. Huh? That is the message we must all understand. Fully vaccinated status is very, very important. So, so Kasimpulan again, AstraZeneca reduced the risk of uh, death for COVID-19 patients, uh, 96%, uh, for Pfizer about 93%, and for Sinovac is 84%. Again, they are very highly efficacious vaccines. So I just want to go through a little bit on where we are now, uh, having achieved high levels of uh, vaccine efficacy for both of those parameters. Eh? One is, kalau kita lihat seseorang itu yang mungkin ada risiko terjangkit COVID-19, kalau mereka terjangkit, mereka sebenarnya, they have primary infection, and mereka akan uh, mewujudkan antibody secara natural. Eh? So this is a natural antibody response for an infected, recovered, person. The second thing is, of course, for those of us who are vaccinated, we don't need to go through an infection pathway to develop immunity. We are vaccinated to achieve the immunity. So we need adalah process yang kita memberi vaccine. And this ini, uh, mereka mendapat immunity yang sesuai untuk melawan penyakit COVID-19. So we saw the result. But for both this natural immunity and for those who have been vaccinated, there's always a risk of reduction of these antibody levels over time. This is what we call radiant effect. And we know currently uh, it's about six to eight months for some of the neutralizing antibodies, uh, but for long-term immunity, the data is still being compiled and we do not really know how long would your memory cells give you the immunity that is desirable huh, against COVID-19. So anyone from natural immunity or vaccinated can become partially susceptible later. And this is something that eventually we recognize as a breakthrough infection. Dan uh, kita juga menyelidik tentang isu ini. Ya? Dan kita akan memberi sedikit penerangan tentang apa yang berlaku dalam studi breakthrough infection. So ini adalah data breakthrough infection. Sesuatu yang kita perlu lihat ialah Pada peringkat awal, when you have achieved fully vaccinated status, within the first month, your risk of breakthrough infection in terms of percent is very low, less than 1%. Amat rendah sekali. As we go through another 30 days and further, the, the breakthrough infection rate increases above 1%, doubles a bit later, and then doubles a bit later. Now, at about four months, the breakthrough infection uh, rates about 5%. So overall, we recognize uh, that our country has uh, demonstrated a breakthrough rate of about 1.3 for every 100 person. This is the vaccinated population. We have uh, seen that, we calculated that. But this uh, rate increases uh, over a period of time. And that is as understandable because of the earlier explanation that there could be a waning effect. Dan kebanyakan breakthrough ini berlaku dalam tempoh sebulan selepas mencapai status uh, pemberian vaksinasi. 
So if anyone is to develop a breakthrough infection, it tends to happen within a month uh, or after about two months, and they are often uh, identified early. So this is how uh, the, the data is shown. For those breakthrough infections, let's look in detail uh, for the vaccine. For overall vaccine, so this is studied based on uh, 14 million uh, samples overall, uh, study for the, um, for the other database goes to about 20 million, this is the 14 million. And, and what you see is interesting, huh? um, that the number of ICU admission for breakthrough for the whole population is actually extremely low. It's about 0.01% for AstraZeneca, 0.02% for Pfizer, Open one percent uh, for um, uh, Sinovac. Overall, the rate is about zero point zero six six percent for those who have fully been vaccinated. So the breakthrough rate for ICU admission is extremely low. So the banyakan mereka bergejala pada tahap satu atau dua dan tidak kepada tahap empat dan lima di mana mereka memerlukan ICU. So breakthrough infection does happen, but they do not deteriorate to that level fast. But this may change with the conditional condition of waiting effect. This is something we have to monitor. Likewise for death, kematian, 14 juta orang yang telah diberi vaksin dan dilihat daripada peratusan ini, kematian amat so for AstraZeneca is 0.02%, Pfizer is 0.05%, and Sinovac is 0.15% and 0.1% overall. Uh, overall. So there's some variations in these uh, as well. So why is there a variation for this? Again, AstraZeneca, the distribution uh, was perhaps a bit uh, lesser in, in proportion. And also the population that received the vaccine was slightly uh, different demographically. Uh, many of them were in the mid-adulthood age, whereas uh, Pfizer and Sinovac were very much more for the vulnerable population. And we have seen the same issue uh, in terms of the proportion of death by uh, this comorbidity. And that is something that is very important to recognize. Yaitu di kalangan mereka yang meninggal selepas breakthrough, 76% mereka adalah lebih daripada 60 tahun dan 92% mempunyai comorbidity. The same risk factors of COVID-19 applies for breakthrough infection, although it's low, but it's still driven by the risk of age and risk of comorbidity. So this is something that we have to address and see whether there's something in terms of identifying this risk factor. So in, in summary, uh, up to 12 September, uh, among COVID-19 patients, uh, if you have completed vaccinated, meaning 14 days after your second dose, your risk reduction for uh, ICU admission is as high as 83%, and your risk reduction for death is as high as 88%. This is way above the minimum standard set by the, 50% set by the WHO, very important. Although in trial efficacy, you find different, different uh, results between 70 to 80 to 95 percent. This is real world data, and much of this data is consistent among not only Malaysian data, but even if you look at the data from Brazil, from Chile, uh, even looking at Turkey and many other parts, Israel included, we are not that different in terms of real world data. And uh, if you look at a simple ballpark figure, uh, for everyone uh, who's admitted to ICU, 
um, um, in terms of being vaccinated. In fact, uh, for every 67 who was there, um, the vaccine, in fact, avoids one person uh, being declared, you know, uh, succumb to COVID-19. So this is how you interpret the data. Very important that we look up, up at uh, the vaccine efficacy in that sense. So some have asked this question, is this very different uh, with the various of concern? Well, there's still ongoing work on our side, but uh, from the re most recent publication from um, the CDC data published in British Medical Journal, for those who are unvaccinated in COVID-19 and infected, your risk of death is, is 11 times higher than someone who's vaccinated. It therefore shows that fully being vaccinated, in fact, is the most important criteria if you wish to reduce the risk of death in COVID-19. So uh, in Simpulan, uh, we have demonstrated this is a very dynamic study and this we continued. Overall, our peak vaccines have been very effective. They've reduced the infection. They've reduced the severe outcome of COVID, both in symptomatic disease, ICU admission and death. And in, in that sense, uh, it has also lessened the burden of a healthcare system so they can cope with many other situations as well. So this is very important role and function of the COVID-19 vaccine. This is a team that worked very hard on this work. Uh, Dr. Mr. Sua, Dr. Uh, Mr. Tevesh, Dr. Mahesh from uh, CPRC, Dr. Shamini, Mr. Ong, and Dr. Masiyama, and also to the talk from the ICR NIH. And on behalf of, of our ICR, I'd like to thank Dato for giving the opportunity to share this information. Thank you very much. Okay, Dr. Kalai. Thank you, Dr. Kalai. Uh, I think we are going to probably just uh, have a very, uh, maybe dua burning question. Lepas kita move on. Kalau tak, tak sempat habis ya. Boleh kita ada any two burning question in terms of vaccine efficacy. Soalan kepada Dr. Kalai berkaitan dengan efficacy vaccine. Ada, boleh kita dapatkan uh, apa-apa soalan daripada rakan-rakan uh, media kita? Kalau uh, ada penjelasan yang ingin uh, diutarakan. Kalau tak ada, kita tunggu uh, sampai uh, the, the last speaker. Kita combinekan semua ya. Um, excuse me, uh, doctor. I have a question. I'm Kanmani from Code Blue. Uh, that means you. Okay, Kanmani. Okay, Code Blue. Yeah. Okay. Question, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, can MOH uh, share the evidence of waning immunity from vaccines in Malaysia that justify administration of booster shots? Because um, immunocompromised people should be able to get a third dose and that should be included in the primary series of vaccination because they don't respond well to two doses. But for everyone else, including the elderly with comorbidities, what is the evidence that they need booster shots? Okay, Kamini, maybe I can, uh, the, the one who's doing the study is not here and uh, from IKU. We, we are uh, you know, in the midst of doing uh, post-vaccination uh, zero conversion and zero surveillance studies, meaning that we, uh, we do uh, the baseline before getting vaccination and then uh, one month after getting vaccination, uh, you know, periodically uh, for up to maybe up to two years. Since we have done... Uh, I think probably 600 uh, data sets for Pfizer, 600 for Sinovac, and then for AstraZeneca, about the same amount. And we are beginning to collect data for CanSino as well. Thus far, we only have data up to uh, you know, the, the vaccination 
after second dose, the level of antibody after the second dose. So we can't give you uh, the details of what is the findings, but the finding is uh, very much in keeping what's happening elsewhere with regards to the, uh, you know, the, the uh, antibody levels post-vaccination after following the first vaccination and following the second dose of vaccination. So the data mimics very closely with that. So uh, I think probably in times to come, we can probably get uh, the uh, more robust and mature data because we, we just started the vaccination from uh, March uh, this year. So we don't have that uh, mature data set that you require because you require six months, eight months, nine months or 12 months kind of post-vaccination. We don't have that data at the moment. Yeah, With regards to the third dose, uh, FDA have already approved the use of third dose in immunocompromised patients. We have already, uh, you know, made decision to also allow that third dose for those who are immunocompromised. With regards to the third dose in the other categories uh, of patients, I think FDA just uh, approved, uh, I think earlier today, uh, the other groups of uh, people who uh, would benefit from a third dose, yeah, or, or so-called the booster dose. I think uh, we are going to probably have some... Uh, uh, announcement. I think YABPM have made an announcement that we're going to start uh, booster doses, certainly amongst those who are immunocompromised, but certain category of uh, high-risk groups. Yeah, Not all, but certain category of people uh, would uh, be uh, you know, uh, amenable to, uh, we are going to give booster dose because uh, they are in the high-risk category. So uh, what, what we are doing is uh, everything is evidence-based and everything is according to what's being approved uh, given the, the available data. Okay, I hope that satisfies that question. Uh, uh, doctor, I have another question as well. Is the government okay. uh, is rolling out booster, booster do doses because of concerns of uh, Sinovac efficacy? Because according to the Slango State Health Department, they released data yesterday, 82% of deaths among the fully vaccinated uh, individuals, a total of 418 of them, comprised of Sinovac recipients compared to 17% Pfizer recipients and 1% of AstraZeneca uh, recipients. So it's, it's actually quite high. It's almost 20% uh, in September, 20% of breakthrough deaths in September. Whereas in US, fully vaccinated deaths comprise of only less than 1% of uh, total deaths. So what's your comment on this, doctor? I think that one is preliminary data. We are also uh, what call it, uh, watching closely uh, with regards to the uh, efficacy of vaccine. Whatever vaccine that we have would be vaccine which has actually uh, uh, been approved by NPRA and it has you know, reached the uh, floor value of at least 50% efficacy. So that's why we have the portfolio of vaccine which is available that we are utilizing. All of the vaccine that we use have reached that minimum standard, uh, minimum uh, set level of efficacy. Uh, when you look at uh, Sarawak, for instance, they have mainly uh, used Sinovac during the ramp up of their vaccination. And you can see drastically how uh, you know, much uh, that, that the level of uh, reduction in the uh, death and ICU emissions, so on and so forth. Although they may have uh, more, more, I mean, cases may get breakthrough infection, but then the, the, the one who are in the severe groups are, are much less. So given the circumstances, you should look at the overall efficacy of all of our vaccine portfolio. And given that uh, we've got five vaccines at the moment, we, we try to get as much vaccine as possible amongst all of the manufacturers. And at the moment, uh, most of the uh, vaccine supply are from Pfizer. And secondly, it is from Sinovac because we've got the fill and finish uh, facility in Malaysia and AstraZeneca. So, so that, that's how we are looking at it. 
uh, whether uh, we are not going to start the booster vaccination just because of uh, one vaccine or another. We look at the overall picture. We notice that a certain category of people uh, are probably better uh, protected if we give them the third dose. So that would include those who are immunocompromised. And secondly, those who are in the high risk uh, category. For instance, people are constantly being exposed to uh, the virus due to the nature of their job. That would include the healthcare workers, the frontliners, and certain other categories. And, and uh, so those are the kind of people that we are going to probably concentrate on. And the other group that we are looking into uh, in giving the booster doses are some high-risk uh, category. Those with certain comorbidities that we are going to probably uh, also give them uh, vaccines. So, so it, it, as a whole, the vaccine that we've given our population is the vaccine that has actually reached the, uh, the efficacy level. And, and uh, the vaccine that we have deployed during our vaccination program, we, 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 as we receive the vaccine, we deploy it. So at the moment, I think the, the, the rate of vaccination is, uh, I think, almost like 95%. Uh, once we get the vaccine, we deploy it. We, we, we vaccinate uh, the, the population. That is satisfying. Malaysia has got one of the highest rate of vaccination uh, worldwide. So, so that's what, as much I can see, the details of those, you know, if you are going to split hairs, I think uh, we, we can discuss that a bit later. The details, we are not, we are not there yet in terms of looking at the uh, details uh, in our population because we, we can uh, only do the not neutralizing antibody against the spike protein. But if you look at the inactive uh, vaccine, there are other uh, uh, levels that, uh, that can go into play as well. The nucleocapsid uh, antibodies and other, uh, uh, what do you call it, immune cells. We are not, uh, what do you call it, uh, measuring that. Okay, so it's a bit more complex and we don't have the details to uh, give you some answer at the moment. Okay, thank you, Doctor. Okay, Haris, uh, later. Eh? Uh, doctor, one question for Doctor. Uh, it's regarding the weaning effect. Waiting uh, effect. Okay. Waiting, okay, I would like to ask Dr. Kalai. Uh, do you have comparison between vaccines? Uh, the uh, time period, uh, apa ni, waiting effect ni between Pfizer, uh, Sinovac, and AstraZeneca, uh, and also maybe CanSino, kalau ada. CanSino, no, I don't have. Tapi Kalai, did you have the data on that from your Revcom studies? So, so actually the data is still being compiled because yeah, actually, yeah. we started the mass vaccination from about early April. And so uh, most of the vaccine portfolios, you know, they've come to about six months now. Yeah. We've got some data for our healthcare series and, um, and we also have the IQ study that uh, with IMR that uh, that was mentioning for population sample as well for the various uh, vaccines. Yeah. But uh, th there are several models of study anyway. Some are with um, symptomatic disease PCR tests as well, and some with serology. So we will be able to share this information once the study undergoes at least the interim analysis phase. At least for the healthcare workers in October, we will be able to share that, that uh, outcome for if at all there's a waning effect uh, for some of the vaccine portfolios. So you, you need to be a little patient, and we should have that very soon. Thank you. How many uh, breakthrough infections among healthcare workers are because they are among the uh, the first to receive? So uh, to date, how many uh, breakthrough infections? Of about 550 healthcare workers, uh, we have had 30 breakthrough infections, all in category one and two, and uh, all recovered. So that is how uh, we have so far. Yeah. Okay, Haris. 
I think even data for the booster shot kan by Pfizer, they, they showed the waning uh, starts coming down by maybe about eight months or six months or eight months. So it starts to come down. But the levels are still there. Meaning that dia punya GMT, dia punya uh, geometric mean punya level, kalau dia gunakan for apa tu, neutralizing uh, the virus, uh, apparently it still works. But definitely the levels are waning. So that's why during kata in certain categories, you need to give booster doses. And and today they have approved the booster doses for I think three main category of uh, patients uh, or people. Uh, I've not had the time to to look at the FDA punya putus statement yet. Yeah, tapi you can Google and see whether is it out yet. Yeah? So I think in inter interest of time, uh, we we can move on and see whether we can collate all the information uh, the question later yeah, after the information after the presentation. I think the next presentation maybe uh, Dr Nick Karuldin maybe you can just give ah, briefly. Uh, uh, to your presentation. Kita go a bit focus on our adolescent uh, okay. vaccination. Dr. Nick Harudin ya, daripada Kota Baru. Okay. Uh, terima kasih Datuk. Uh, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh dan salam sejahtera. Saya Dr. Nick Khairuddin Nick Yusof, uh, pakar perunding pediatrik infectious disease daripada Hospital Raja Perempuan Zainab 2. Jadi saya cuma akan memberikan sedikit uh, uh, pembentangan mengenai uh, uh, guidelines uh, clinical uh, uh, vaksinasi di kalangan remaja. Ya, semana Bagaimana kita tahu bahawa kerajaan telah memutuskan untuk meneruskan vaksinasi di kalangan remaja dan guideline ini adalah untuk remaja yang berumur antara 12 hingga 17 tahun. Pada masa ini belum ada vaksin di seluruh dunia yang memberikan kebenaran untuk vaksinasi di bawah umur 12 tahunnya. Yang tapi mungkin dalam masa terdekat juga akan ada bukti-bukti klinikal yang membenarkan vaksin diberikan kepada yang bawah daripada 12 tahun. Tapi perbincangan kita pada hari ini adalah menekankan kepada yang berumur 12 hingga 17 tahunnya. Jadi kita nak tekankan di sini juga bahawa masih lagi ada sebilangan besar populasi kita yang tidak diberi vaksinasi. Yang ini termasuk ialah kanak-kanak yang yang kecil ya, kanak-kanak yang berumur kurang daripada 12 tahun. Jadi amat penting penekanan diberikan untuk memastikan all the all the eligible adults ya, all the orang-orang dewasa dan juga remaja yang telah mencapai umur untuk divaksinasi diberikan vaksinasi untuk melindungi adik-adik mereka ataupun anak-anak kecil yang berada di rumah. So kita nak tekankan bahawa walaupun vaksinasi remaja diteruskan bahawa vaksinasi untuk orang-orang dewasa juga perlu terus dijalankan untuk melindungi kumpulan-kumpulan yang tidak dapat diberikan vaksinasi terutamanya kanak-kanak kecil. ya. Dan secara ringkasnya rekomendasi daripada clinical guidelines ini adalah pertama adalah kita mencadangkan dan atau memberikan keutamaan bahawa semua remaja yang mempunyai masalah kesihatan comorbid ya chronic comorbidity diberikan keutamaan kerana mereka can get very ill mereka mungkin mendapat covid-19 yang teruk ya secara keseluruhan kita mengatakan bahawa remaja dan juga kanak-kanak tidak mendapat covid yang teruk tetapi ada sebilangan daripada mereka yang mempunyai risiko tertentu akan mempunyai risiko untuk mendapat jangkitan yang lebih serius Remaja-remaja uh, lain juga disarankan untuk mendapatkan uh, COVID-19 uh, vaksin COVID-19 kerana mereka juga boleh mendapat uh, jangkitan COVID-19 yang serius ya. Although the risk ia lower than the worst with medical comorbidities. Jadi 
vaksin yang direkomen atau yang diberikan uh, yang di, disarankan dipakai adalah Pfizer vaksin ya dengan dos yang sama seperti mana dos orang dewasa iaitu 0.3 mil dua doses sekurang-kurangnya 3 minggu uh, empat ya 3 minggu empat ini adalah dos yang dipakai di seluruh dunia uh, kerana kajian klinikal yang membuktikan keberkesanan dan keselamatan dos yang diberikan ya dan terakhir rekomendasi kita adalah memastikan mengatakan bahawa kita tidak perlu memberikan rawatan ubat untuk demam dan juga untuk sakit sebelum mengambil vaksinasi ya kita cadangkan supaya ubat itu boleh digunakan tetapi digunakan sekiranya mempunyai penerima mengalami demam ataupun sakit selepas vaksinasi ya jadi seperti saya terangkan tadi bahawa kanak-kanak dan remaja kurang di, berkur, kurang mendapat COVID-19 yang teruk tapi ada sebilangan mereka yang boleh mendapat jangkitan yang serius dan 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 juga ada satu condition untuk kanak-kanak yang kita kenali sebagai multisystem inflammatory syndrome in children yang ini very specific untuk kanak-kanak jangkitan ini juga kurang berlaku tapi amat serius sekiranya ia berlaku dan di negara kita telah ada kes-kes yang sedemikian yang berlaku apabila mereka mendapat jangkitan COVID-19 dan komplikasi dengan mendapat MISC ya dan yang uh, kita juga melihat trend terakhir uh, uh, seperti mana di seluruh dunia di mana uh, bilangan kanak-kanak dan remaja yang mendapat COVID telah meningkat dengan begitu mendadak ya. Saya rasa kita dah mengetahui dan ada data-data yang telah dikongsikan bersama oleh pihak kementerian di mana peningkatan kes yang amat mendadak. Saya boleh sebutkan di sini bahawa pada tahun lepas kita mempunyai sebanyak 12,620 kes di kalangan kanak-kanak bawah 18 tahun dengan dengan enam kematian dan sehingga Ogos peningkatan kes yang begitu mendadak kepada empat pada 310,000 kes. Ya, dengan ke-41 kematian walaupun figure ini kematian ini jauh lebih rendah daripada apa yang berlaku di kalangan dewasa tapi bilangan ini meningkat dengan mendadak dan kita boleh menjangkakan apabila lebih ramai yang diberikan vaksinasi di kalangan orang dewasa virus ini akan mencari mangsa-mangsa yang tidak mempunyai ketahanan badan dan tidak mempunyai vaksinasi dan kemungkinan besar kanak-kanak merupakan akan menjadi fokus kepada jangkitan seterusnya. Jadi amat penting untuk kita terus melaksanakan untuk melindungi anak-anak ini secepat mungkin ya dengan vaksin yang berkesan ya. Jadi data jadi bilangannya kes yang meningkat ini serasa bermula daripada bulan Jun, Julai dan Ogos dan September dan mungkin berkaitan dengan varian Delta virus Delta variant yang berlaku sekarang ini. Selain daripada itu ya, bukan saja dari segi direct health impact kepada 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 kanak-kanak dan remaja, kita tahu juga bagaimana besarnya impact yang indirect ya kepada remaja kepada kanak-kanak dan remaja terutama keluarga terutama kepada persekolahan yang tak dapat diteruskan dan kehidupan mereka mental and development. So the this are huge impact on the child eh? and then mungkin kita tak dapat balik eh tak dapat balik uh, they can never recover back what have they what they lost over the last one and a half years to two years kan. Jadi this are huge impact that we have to take action. So one of it is vaccination lah. Vaksinasi akan memberi kesan yang uh, kesan yang besar dan kita mengharapkan dengan vaksinasi di kalangan remaja juga kita akan dapat membawa uh, uh, mereka dan negara kita kembali kepada kehidupan yang normal ya uh, dan balik kepada aktiviti yang asal baik
Jadi uh, saya telah tekankan di sini grup-grup kumpulan-kumpulan yang mana uh, diberikan penekanan ya yang kita tahu sebilangan besar daripada kanak-kanak mempunyai underlying medical condition ya seperti mana orang dewasa juga uh, all these condition seperti masalah paru-paru, jantung, uh, kencing manis, buah pinggang, uh, masalah-masalah neurologi dan sebagainya, obesity mereka meningkatkan risiko remaja dan juga kanak-kanak untuk mendapat covid yang lebih serius ya. Jadi kita tekankan kepada kumpulan ini untuk diberikan. Maksudnya kalau ada sekarang kumpulan ini dah berumur 12 hingga 17 tahun yang uh, yang berada di rumah di mana, di mana-mana sekalipun kita nak pastikan mereka lah yang dulu yang patut mendapat vaksinasi ya uh, sebelum diberikan kepada remaja yang lain ya. Okey ini ini adalah uh, table menunjukkan kumpulan-kumpulan penyakit yang boleh diberikan keutamaan untuk diberikan vaksinasi. Uh, untuk sebagai jasa untuk untuk tatapan ya. Uh, jadi vaksin apakah yang dibenar, diberikan kepada remaja? Uh, currently the only approved vaccine ialah Pfizer vaksin ya. Pfizer vaksin sebab telah ditunjukkan dengan clinical trials yang uh, uh, strong clinical trials that it is uh, safe. It produce uh, antibodies and they are very efficacious. Maksud efficacious meaning they are they have very effective in adolescence, yeah, specific for adolescence. And now, daripada, daripada beberapa bulan yang terakhir ini, kita tahu kita have real-world data juga daripada banyak negara-negara yang telah melaksanakan program imunisasi di kalangan remaja, lebih daripada 20 negara di seluruh dunia, menunjukkan keberkesanan dan keselamatan dari segi pemberian vaksin uh, COVID-19 di kalangan remaja menggunakan Pfizer vaksin. Yeah. Jadi kontraindikasi adalah sama seperti yang yang dewasa. Jadi tidak banyak perbezaan dari segi pelaksanaan vaksinasi, kontraindikasi, keselamatan dan sebagainya. Saya cuma nak tekankan sekali lagi dari segi kita juga menyarankan ada mengadakan assessment pre-vaccination untuk sebilangan kecil kanak-kanak remaja ini dan kanak-kanak ini perlu di, di assess ataupun diberi penilaian terlebih dahulu sebelum sama ada mereka sesuai untuk menerima vaksin bila dan di mana dan kerana mereka mempunyai risiko-risiko tertentu. Sebenarnya pre-vaccination assessment ini adalah sama seperti yang telah dijalankan dengan orang-orang dewasa yang lain. Tiga kumpulan utama ialah mereka yang immunocompromised, mereka mempunyai masalah pendarahan dan juga mereka yang mempunyai alergi perlu dinilai dahulu oleh pegawai-pegawai perubatan sebelum kita memberikan appointment untuk vaksinasi. Uh, konsen saya uh, seperti mana bawah daripada 18 tahun memerlukan konsen daripada ibu bapa dan saya rasa akan dibincangkan selepas ini uh, dan saya cuma ingin uh, terakhir sekali uh, menekankan pada isu yang selalu timbul uh, dalam media dan juga di, di uh, dalam uh, social media dan sebagainya mengenai isu vaksinasi dan keselamatan uh, Pfizer vaksin ya. sebenarnya uh, memang ada laporan-laporan mengenai uh, uh, kesan sampingan seperti masalah jantung seperti myocarditis dan perikarditis yang dilaporkan selepas penerimaan vaksin mRNA COVID-19 ya, sama ada Pfizer ataupun Moderna uh, kes yang berlaku adalah di kalangan uh, remaja lelaki dan juga uh, orang dewasa uh, yang kurang daripada 30 tahun uh, di kalangan lelaki kebiasaannya pada uh, selepas dos kedua dan simptom ni biasanya akan timbul dalam masa satu minggu pertama selepas vaksinasi ya. Tetapi sebenarnya bilangan kes yang berlaku ini adalah amat kecil. 
Uh, ini disebabkan oleh uh, 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 very strong robust uh, surveillance system yang dilakukan di seluruh negara untuk melihat kesan-kesan sampingan ini dapat mengenapasti kes-kes uh, myocarditis dan yang pericarditis yang berlaku ya. Kes yang dilaporkan sebenarnya kurang daripada 0.01% daripada yang menerima vaksinasi. Ya, jadi bilang ini kecil ya. Kalau kita sekarang ini banyak juga kajian telah menunjukkan bahawa risiko mendapat COVID-19 uh, myocarditis selepas mendapat sekiranya mendapat jangkitan COVID-19 adalah jauh lebih tinggi. Ya, uh, uh, berbanding dengan mendapat uh, masalah uh, myocarditis pericarditis selepas vaksinasi uh, COVID-19. Ya, uh, risikonya jauh lebih tinggi. Ya. Jadi dan walaupun bagaimanapun ini adalah sesuatu yang kita mesti pantau dengan sebaik-baiknya kerana ia sesuatu yang kita tidak kita tidak ingin melihat berlaku kepada anak-anak remaja kita dan anak-anak kita ya. Jadi sebenarnya kita Kementerian Kesihatan akan memantau dengan begitu rapilah semua pemberian vaksin COVID-19 di kalangan remaja dan kita ada algoritma ataupun cata alih dan sebagainya untuk memastikan semua kes-kes itu dapat dikesan dan dapat di diinvestigate ataupun di, di dibuat ujian yang sepatutnya dan diberikan rawatan yang sepatutnya. Setakat data yang kita terima daripada seluruh dunia yang telah memantau keadaan ini adalah kebanyakan kes adalah kes-kes yang yang dilaporkan ini adalah ringan ya jalannya adalah ringan ya dan dia responded well to medication and rest ya dia tak memerlukan rawatan-rawatan yang tinggi dan rawatan-rawatan yang simple dan mereka recover dengan cepatnya ya tapi data-data jangka masa panjang masih lagi di dikumpulkan jadi untuk makluman semua juga apakah tanda-tanda apakah yang perlu dilihat ya ataupun diberikan peringatan dari segi tanda-tanda myocarditis dan pericarditis simple one macam chest pain ya sakit dada susuka bernafas sesak nafas ya ataupun rasa palpitation iaitu rasa macam berdebar-debar ataupun denyutan jantung yang kuat ya itu tanda-tanda yang something yang kita akan maklumkan supaya kepada semua yang menerima vaksin supaya mereka akan pastikan mereka kenal pasal tanda-tanda berikut dan memberi maklum kepada petugas kesihatan dan datang mendapatkan rawatan sekiranya benda ini berlaku ya. kemungkinan ini disebabkan oleh faktor-faktor lain ya bukan semestinya semua yang punya tanda-tanda ini adalah mempunyai masalah jantung. Setengahnya adalah boleh disebabkan oleh penyakit-penyakit lain ya. Jadi uh, we advise that they seek medical care at the nearest health clinics especially if within the first week of receiving the vaccine ya. Yeah. Dan maklumkan juga bahawa uh, dah menerima vaksin atau tunjukkan uh, MySejahtera ya yeah, uh, vaksin uh, COVID uh, yang diterima tersebut dan doktor akan memeriksa dan akan uh, do the further test and provide appropriate uh, management and treatment ya. Yeah. Uh, untuk petugas-petugas kesihatan kita telah mengadakan tata alih yang jelas untuk mereka dan memberikan uh, training dan education kepada mereka untuk uh, how to deal eh, bila sepas, uh, ada sekiranya ada penerima vaksin yang mempunyai uh, tanda-tanda tertentu dan tidak pasti mendapatkan rawatan dan kita akan uh, apa ni akan akan dibuat uh, uh, pemeriksaan dan juga uh, ujian selanjutnya dan juga uh, rawatan-rawatan yang sepatutnya. Uh, jadi uh, Sebenarnya saya rasa itu saja sebenarnya rawatan myocarditis dan pericarditis sebenarnya adalah satu sememangnya adalah satu risiko tapi risikonya adalah amat-amat rendah dan dan kebanyakan kes adalah ringan dan dapat dan sembuh dengan sepenuhnya.
secara keseluruhannya saya rasakan bahawa evidence uh, yang uh, uh, yang ada sekarang ini menunjukkan bahawa uh, program vaksinasi di kawasan remaja amat diperlukan untuk negara kita dengan bilangan kes yang yang meningkat itu mendadak dan saya jangkakan banyak benefit-benefit lain yang ataupun kelebihan lain yang kita dapat sekiranya vaksinasi ini teruskan ya selain daripada benefit kepada remaja itu sendiri dari segi mengurangkan risiko mendapat covid yang serius mendapat masalah-masalah kesihatan yang lain seperti long covid masalah MISC yang saya sebutkan tadi juga masalah-masalah dari segi sosial, schooling, education dan sebagainya. Dan juga membantu kita, negara kita untuk mencapai tahap imuniti yang lebih tinggi untuk protect everyone. Uh, we have to vaccinate the, uh, the remaja kerana dia akan meningkatkan imuniti di peringkat negara. Ya, jadi kanak-kanak adalah lebih kurang 28% daripada bilangan uh, penduduk Malaysia. Jadi sekiranya kita tidak uh, vaksinit siapa yang layak untuk vaksinit di kalangan mereka, maka kita akan sentiasa mengalami masalah dari segi uh, COVID outbreak di negara kita untuk jangka masa yang lama. Uh, itu saja untuk uh, segi pembentangan saya. Terima kasih. Uh, terima kasih Dr. Nek Harudin. Maybe I can uh, I should invite Datuk Dr Zulkifli Ismail ya uh, pakar perunding kanak-kanak dan juga pakar perunding uh, pediatric cardiology uh, can can you give us some uh, you know uh, words to this effect Masih. sebelum kita open <laughs> PNA okay Datuk Zul yeah merci uh, Datuk uh, thank you. Uh, you we all understand that in the beginning <coughs> the ministry of health was very cautious about introducing the vaccine to the to adolescents And that's very understandable with the initial uh, data that came out. Tapi sekarang ni we have more data and we know that uh, although myocarditis is one of the features that occur, which is very rare, but if you get COVID, now, the, the, the risk is like this. Eh? The risk of, um, of getting uh, myocarditis with Pfizer second dose in a boy is about 1 in 20,000. But your risk of getting myocarditis if you get infected with COVID for the same age is one in three thousand. So, uh, so we weigh everything together. It is of more benefit to actually get the vaccine for the teenagers, and rightly so. The ministry was very cautious in the beginning, and that's why there was a bit of a of a turnaround when we first started when the ministry first started introduce. And now is probably the right time for us to actually start. Uh, giving uh, the, the vaccine to the teens, as, but especially for those with comorbidities and the obese ones. Thank you, Dato. Okay, thanks, uh, Dato Zul. Uh, Dr. Benedict Sim uh, from uh, Sungai Buloh, uh, can you share with us uh, the experience in Sungai Buloh with regards to the number of patients? You know, I mean, the adults' uh, number of admission to ICU and the severe cases have gone down dramatically. Maybe you can. Uh, share with us uh, the, the experience in Sungai Buloh. Ben? Thanks, Dato. Um, I, I think we have seen that uh, Sungai Buloh is just one of the government hospitals uh, um, receiving COVID-19 patients now. Um, uh, compared to the peak of our experiences, which was almost two months ago, about maybe seven weeks ago, um, at, uh, at that time we were seeing, um, at, when we look at... Um, Category four and five patients. It means um, patients who needed uh, oxygen, and um, and uh, we were seeing um, up to uh, you know 120 cases a day coming in with uh, 
um, of patients needing that kind of support. Now we are seeing the same numbers, about 120 in a week. So um, um, uh, this is of over the last couple of weeks data. So um, um, uh, uh, the number of severe cases has uh, dropped uh, quite dramatically, uh, six, seven fold. And, um, and, uh, and, and I think um, Klang Valley has got very high rates of, of uh, vaccination. So um, uh, uh, we are still seeing, um, uh, uh, in fact, I, I think from the figures, uh, Klang Valley rates of vaccination is uh, almost 100% now for adults. And, um, and uh, um, we, we are seeing about um, uh, half of the patients coming in now with severe infections. They have been vaccinated. Um, uh, the other half is not um, uh, vaccinated yet. Um, on the surface, it may look um, uh, 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 quite alarming why um, uh, the vaccinated uh, pro um, population are also getting severe disease um, after half of them being vaccinated. But if we if we take the um, the, the the denominator or we or we consider that um, almost hundred percent of people in Klang Valley have been vaccinated already, the proportion that are coming in with um, severe disease after vaccination is much, much lower than those who are not vaccinated. And uh, we're also seeing an uh, uh, increase in the um, uh, younger age groups uh, that have not been vaccinated yet. Um, our, uh, I think among our teenagers, uh, uh, admissions um, in over the last um, July and August, it accounted for about one plus percent of our admissions were teenagers. In September, over the first three weeks of September, it had gone up to 3% of our admissions uh, in the adolescent age group. So um, uh, there is a steady increase in admissions among those who are not vaccinated. Yeah, so I think we are beginning to see that shift happening. Thanks. Okay, thanks Ben for that uh, information. Jadi kita buka kepada soalan-soalan daripada uh, rakan media kita uh, regarding uh, vaksinasi remaja ni. Ada apa soalan daripada uh, media? If you could raise uh, your... Yes, Dr. Ankanmani again from Kozu. I have uh, three questions this time uh, regarding the adolescence vaccination. The first question is, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics and the Children's Hospital Association, severe illness due to COVID-19 is uncommon among children. So why should we channel the vaccines to children first when we haven't fully inoculated all adults in the country? Okay. Uh, well, uh, Kito, we, we are not doing this vaccination for children first. We've been uh, vaccinating adults. If you remember that we started uh, to decide start uh, vaccinating adolescent when the adult rates has uh, breached 80%. That is when we start vaccinating uh, children. And when we start uh, vaccinating children, I think the high priority would be the ones who are, are having comorbidities. In fact, we, uh, we have uh, instructed our PPV special young in hospitals to begin vaccinating uh, adolescent and children above uh, 12 uh, with high-risk group. As what was shown by Dr. Nick Khairuddin just now, there are about 14 categories of children whom we have started giving a vaccination 
since earlier on. So these are high risk category uh, of patients. We have uh, started to give vaccination. But once the adult population have received vaccination and we notice that the number of cases, severe cases in adults have declined, uh, and then we are starting to see uh, death in children. Death in children is equal to equivalent to maybe many adults, you know, because the, the potential for children to live long is so much higher. So one children may be probably equivalent to about five adults. One death in children to us. I'm a pediatrician. I consider them, uh, you know, many many times more. So if we can save one child, meaning that we can save a very long life ahead of them. So there is this, uh, you know, emphasis on why is it that we want to protect our children as well. So having, having said that, we, we, also, we started vaccinating children after the adults have reached a certain level of vaccination. Then we start to consider vaccinating children, the high, high risk groups first. Then now that we are seeing a lot of our kids are getting uh, COVID-19. So that's, that's our concern. So it's not done, you know, uh, without regard to the safety of our children. And looking at the data, the vaccines among children are even better. I mean, the, the safety profile is better among children uh, compared to uh, among adults. So, so that's our uh, findings from, from the real-world data as well as from the registration trial of the vaccine itself. Yeah. Uh, any, any uh, apa to maybe Dr. Nick can add in to that or Dr. Dr. Nick, can, can you? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Dato. I think uh, I agree with that, what Dato has mentioned before. I think uh, we look at the priority is always adults eh, because of the higher risk of them dying from the or severe COVID from, or from, from, uh, from the infection. Uh, but uh, we cannot uh, expect to be able to, to vaccinate all adults because there will be those who are who are uh, contraindicated to have received the vaccine, those who totally refuse for vaccination. And uh, because of that, we have to start vaccinating others once we reach certain levels of adult population. So I think the priority is definitely still adults and we are going, I think the KKM is continue to, to vaccinate whoever, whichever adults have that, that, we, have, that we have not reached and so far, but uh, we have to start looking at children because the numbers are scary and we cannot wait too long before it becomes like an adult data like at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we are already seeing that with the number of cases over the last two, three months increased by, I think, uh, something like uh, the last two months, uh, something like fifty to 60,000 per month of uh, uh, children less than, uh, 20, less than 18 years have been infected. And the numbers of uh, uh, patients in the hospital also now has increased as well, which we didn't see last year. So I think uh, this, the, the data is there. I think the US is also doing that now. The number of severe one is not that many, but it is increasing rapidly. So I think uh, we should be doing it together that, that we continue to vaccinate the older the adults as well. But it's time also to move on with the younger children eh, because they are at risk as well. Yeah, Dr. Zul, any, any input on that? Yeah, Is it uh, justifiable yeah. to vaccinate children? Yeah. I think uh, what you referred to, the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, paper, is, is true. But then uh, if we look at the infection rate here in this country, the children now have, I think, about 25 times more this year compared to last year. So there is, there is a shift in the, in the disease from the older to the younger people. And I think this, this Delta variant is probably responsible for it. So I think uh, as, as uh, uh, Hisham Chah has said, this is the right time to do it. And we have already achieved that level for the adults. Thank you. 
Thank you, Doctor. Um, uh, my second question is uh, based on Dr. Nick and Dr. Zulkifli's uh, answer. Uh, does this mean vaccinating the adult population will protect the kids? Because in US, a drop in COVID-19 cases among adults eventually reduced COVID-19 cases among children too. So can we expect the same pattern in Malaysia? Well, well we're seeing, I mean, uh, the number of cases uh, drops for, for all categories. Uh, I mean, uh, for, for the adults, the, among the vaccinated, of course, the number of cases dropped. Uh, but correspondingly, I'm not sure. Uh, Dr. Nick, I mean, the data shows that we are seeing a lot more children with uh, COVID-19 yeah, uh, versus uh, US. Uh, yes, I think I think it definitely that, that the number we've seen is very, very high. I think it has to do with the Delta variant now that we, we assume is a Delta variant, uh, most the predominant one. And that the infection rate with the Delta variant being like, one in uh, one uh, will infect uh, eight, you know, are not of around eight, like uh, uh, chicken pox. Uh, previously, it was only one into two and so on. So definitely, we will need to vaccinate a lot of people. And I think now we're talking more of population immunity rather than adult number immunity, because it's not going to be enough that we just vaccinate the adult and expecting its full protecting the young children. That previously, that was the thought that maybe we don't need to vaccinate the children. We might get away by vaccinating enough adults, then we protect the whole children. But I think the picture is different now. Maybe we can still get some benefits from vaccinating the, uh, the adults, the majority of adults vaccinated, but it will not, give not, will not really fully protect the children as we expect before with this new, very more transmissible uh, form of uh, Delta variant that we face now. So yes, we, we can reduce uh, probably the higher number of adults being vaccinated and less number of chil uh, children being infected compared to those uh, population where the number of adults vaccinated is lower, but we will not get achieve the same numbers of protection as we expected before. So I think that will be not be enough to say that you vaccinate enough adults that we are going to be protecting our kids, not with this new uh, Delta variant that we are seeing. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much, Doctor. I just uh, interject. We'll share the, the figures of increasing numbers of children shortly in the chat box, so they can refer to the data there. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Amir on the call, Datuk, maybe he can also... Yeah, okay, please. Uh, Dr. Amir, our pediatric immunologist, our immunologist. Uh, Amir, we, we can't yeah. hear you. Yes, yes, sorry. I, uh, thanks, uh, Datuk. Now, um, I think uh, I was impressed hearing the whole conversation, right? And uh, we have moved away from this herd immunity uh, story because this has been implicated from uh, some time ago. And I think, but of, at the same time, I think it's worthwhile revisiting that term because you look at what the, Dr. Nick has mentioned. And if you look at the, uh, the I, I, I too do believe that the Delta variant is the game changer here, right? And the fact that infectivity is uh, more with the R0 of 8. And if you look at as well as the, um, uh, probably the incubation period is also shorter and the virus shedding is more. So that, there are a lot of things that need to be said about that. But if you look at, let's say, measles, right? If you look at the uh, herd immunity that we need to achieve for that, that's about 93% of the population. So obviously now here, and this was always going to be the case, the minute we have uh, almost all the adults going to be immunized, then you'll know that the, there will be a shift to the younger age group. 
right? And this is exactly what's happening, and it's uh, pretty much uh, uh, obvious that we will need to have to address this. And that's what we are doing, uh, I think, in the ministry is uh, addressing and looking at it very carefully. At the same time, we are always continuing things in the background. Uh, I, I share the same view. So if you look at that, and if you think that 93%, uh, or, of course, we are not going to be as high, uh, I think, uh, for this SARS-CoV-2, but we wouldn't know, right? What is the number? So the more we now uh, vaccinate the population, I think the safer that we're going to say that we'll probably be more likely to come out of the uh, pandemic. So I think that's my uh, uh, simple view at this point. Thank you, Dato. Okay, thanks, Ame, uh, for that view. Yeah, because we are seeing the, the changing pattern. I mean, the, the dynamic of the uh, pandemic has shifted now that the virus is becoming more transmissible and then R0 is, as you say, you know, it can infect it and, and vaccinating the adults is not enough anymore. Our kids are now getting uh, COVID-19 and they're dying. Last year, there's only a number, total number of six. Now we are seeing about how many? A, a lot more. So, so that is why uh, we, we, we consider that this is about the time where we, we really need to uh, consider vaccinating our kids. Uh, having said that, we are going to probably do it in a uh, very cautious manner. We are putting, uh, what do you call it, everything in place to make sure that this is going to be done uh, judiciously and making sure that all adverse events are going to be catered to and uh, we are going to make sure that uh, none of our kids are going to be affected badly uh, by any adverse event. So that's why we have been, uh, you know, uh, training our people on the ground to, to look out for, for all of these subtle signs and symptoms of pericarditis and myocarditis. Although it is reversible and most are mild, uh, but we are still cautious. I wanted to make sure that this uh, would not affect our uh, adolescent uh, adversely. Uh, so we, we take note on that and we are uh, cognizant on uh, the issues that uh, you, are, uh, you have brought up. Okay, any other question before we move to Dato, uh, Dr. Saidato to, to, to uh, uh, advise us on how is the pelaksanaan? Okay, last question from uh, Fong Fong, yeah? Yes, that's right. Hi. Yeah. Uh, I would like to know whether any of the brought-in date cases, uh, are there any link to um, blood clots or, or myocarditis or pericarditis in any way? And have, are there any such cases linked? Okay, I don't have any uh, what you call latest data on blood clots among BID or myocarditis. Uh, Kala, because you you got uh, uh, any data on that that you know of? Uh, no, that no, that we don't have that specifically related to you know, blood clots and BID. Uh, but certainly we can explore uh, whether the mortality review any of those has been reported. That's why I don't think any has been reported such. Yes, I, I think a lot of data that we've shared in uh, what do you call it, our uh, GitHub, you know, I mean, COVID now, uh, with regards to uh, your, your, I think um, Code Blue was asking about, you know, the, the number of vaccination, vaccinate, vaccinated individuals and the uh, category. I think that that is actually, previously it was given in uh, the infographics by uh, Tan Sri DG, but now it is all you know, put up, put up in GitHub and in uh, COVID now. You can check on that. I think the details are there. Uh, before we move on to Dr. Saidato, let me, uh, anyone wants to ask uh, verbally uh, this question? Can, can I invite a, a last question from uh, the press from regard to vaccinasi uh, kanak-kanak following on from Dr. Nick Karudin's question? 
this one is from uh, Code Blue. Yeah? Uh, is Malaysia just following other countries in rolling out boosters for elderly people despite the lack of data on winning immunity, including in uh, elderly? We are not talking about booster now. Yeah? I mean, now we are talking about uh, vaccinating uh, adolescents. Uh, but we are looking into this. Uh, I think probably when we uh, have decided on this booster, when to start giving our people booster, uh, we are going to probably uh, uh, you know discuss on uh, that matter. Uh, so because uh, at the moment we are saying that we are doing adolescent, uh, and then we are waiting for data for elderly uh, for, for for booster doses. Okay, we're going to probably... Uh, 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 sorry, yeah. uh, just one. Uh, uh, since the decision has been made about booster shot, uh, so it means that uh, for adolescents also, there will be booster shots later, right? It's, it's, uh, the decision is the same, right? Or adolescents no need for booster shot later? Uh, Haris, Haris, I think uh, although announcement have been made that we are considering booster shot, tapi we have not uh, you know, decided when to start giving uh, the booster shot. At the moment, we are considering uh, several uh, category of people that's going to uh, be considered for booster shot. Yeah, uh, but then when exactly? I think maybe Dr. Sailatul can uh, what do you call it? Advise me on whether have we made an, any decision on that? When exactly? We have not, but but I know that we have considered giving booster shot. Many the third uh, dose for immunocompromised patients, and the other category would be people with uh, comorbidities. Yeah. Uh, that that uh, would require a certain level of uh, protection, and the third one is actually uh, people who are you know at risk, uh, high risk cases where uh, people like you know the frontliners who are exposed to uh, the virus uh, you know constantly. So those those would be the category of people that uh, we are going to give uh, considering booster shot. But I think the 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 details have not been uh, you know finalized. Maybe. Uh, I think we, we can get back to that after uh, Dr. Saidatul give us a briefing on uh, vaccinasi, process vaccinasi di kalangan remaja. Yeah? Can we uh, hear Dr. Saidatul and maybe he can, she can probably update us on that? Dr. Saidatul? Okay, thank you. Tak dengar? Bersaratul, uh, yes, okay. uh, boleh dengar tak sekarang? Uh, boleh, boleh. Okay, hari. Okay, um, terima kasih Datuk. Uh, apa yang ingin saya bentangkan lebih kepada uh, proses ya, bagaimana pelaksanaan uh, vaksinasi dengan kurangan remaja. Uh, apabila kita kata remaja dalam konteks ini, kita hanya merujuk kepada uh, mereka yang berumur 12 hingga 17 tahun sahaja ya. Okay, apabila kita kata vaksinasi untuk uh, remaja ini, kita merujuk kepada vaksinasi akan jalankan di sekolah, ya, sama ada sekolah kerajaan maupun swasta. Uh, vaksinasi akan dijalankan dalam institusi ya, perlindungan, contohnya seperti uh, rumah anak-anak yatim, ya, rumah, institusi pemulihan macam uh, Taman, uh, Taman Sri Putri ataupun kita kata rumah bakti. Uh, mahupun juga di dalam penjara ataupun di, dikata institusi penjagaan OKU jangka panjang. Uh, kemudian kita juga akan jalankan vaksinasi di klinik swasta ya, 
dan yang terbaru pada hari ini ya semalam telah dimaklumkan bahawa vaksinasi akan berada di akan dilaksanakan di pusat-pusat pemberian vaksin yang masih beroperasi maksudnya pusat-pusat vaksinasi yang sekarang sedang memberi vaksinasi kepada golongan remaja ya saya akan bercakap tentang vaksinasi di sekolah ini sedikit masa lagi ya dan juga di PV sikit lagi Uh, untuk di institusi ya, manakan mereka ini uh, di, te, dimasukkan ke dalam institusi di bawah akta-akta, maka pemberian kepada mereka ini uh, Kementerian Kesihatan akan pergi ke institusi dan memberi mereka vaksinasi ya. Uh, dan bagi mereka yang apa bersekolah ya, kita ada dua option sama ada kita buat di sekolah mahupun di PPV ya. Uh, Sebenarnya Kementerian Kesihatan ya, kita mensasarkan uh, 3.2 juta remaja dapat divaksinasikan sehingga akhir ya, lengkap dua dos pada akhir Disember 2021 ya. Dengan sasaran kita 80% ya uh, akan mendapat dos lengkap pada Disember inilah ya, sebab sebagaimana dewasa kita ada juga reason setengah kanak-kanak ini tidak mungkin dapat kita beri sebanyak 100%. Uh, sebab uh, pada hari ini ya kita dapati apabila kita mula membuka PPV uh, awam dan integrasi uh, walaupun semalam telah dimaklumkan kaedah-kaedah pelaksanaan tetapi dapati ada juga ibu bapa menyerbu PPV ya tanpa sebarang temu janji. Jadi di sini saya ingin terangkan ya uh, istilah ya dalam konteks remaja ini kita vaksinasi uh, remaja ini Uh, di pusat pemberian vaksin ya kita menggunakan istilah vaksinasi berjadual ya Dia ada tiga kaedah ya satu vaksinasi berjadual yang kedua vaksinasi secara temu janji yang ketiga secara pure atau walk in so biar saya serangkan dulu tentang vaksinasi berjadual ya maksud vaksinasi berjadual ini adalah di mana screen, ya screen show besarkan your Oh sorry. Okay. Macam mana screen show? Tak show. Tak show. Hold on. Oh ya, yeah. hold on, hold on. Let me. Mana dia? Tak gerak. Tak gerak. Naik, naik. Kejap bang. Mau saya tak gerak. Okay, jap. Ah, kan? Hai, presenting. Ah, sorry. Okey, uh, apa maksud uh, vaksinasi berjadual ini bermaksud uh, se- uh, di-, di belakang tabirnya ya apa yang berlaku uh, pejabat kesihatan daerah dan pejabat pendidikan uh, pejabat pendidikan daerah kedua-dua duduk dan menetapkan ya di sesebuah PPV ini sekolah mana yang akan pergi. Jadi jadual yang akan diberi ini adalah jadual kepada pihak sekolah. Dia bukan jadual kepada ibu bapa bila kita kata vaksinasi berjadual ni tadi. Jadi pihak dengan persetujuan kedua-dua pejabat kesihatan daerah dan pejabat pendidikan ni tadi, kita menjadikan satu jadual dan jadual bagi setiap PPV ini diserahkan kepada pihak sekolah ya. Dan sekolah yang akan maklumkan kepada ibu bapa jadual vaksinasi sekolah. Ya. Bagi kategori vaksinasi berjadual ini murid ataupun ibu bapa tidak akan menerima temu janji melalui My Sejahtera sama sekali. Jadi dalam konteks vaksinasi berjadual ini, 
ya ia ia adalah khususkan untuk murid sekolah harian ya murid sekolah pendidikan khas harian sekolah swasta dan antarabangsa kita masukkan dalam kategori ini ya dan mereka yang telah mendapat janji temu melalui sekolah ini mereka perlulah pergi ke lokasi yang telah ditetapkan ya ya anda kata mereka menerima temu janji lain kita tidak membenarkan adalah terbatal ya mereka perlu pergi ke temu janji sama ada di TTV ataupun sekolah yang ditetapkan uh, dalam dalam jadual tersebut. So dalam konteks ini ya, ibu bapa perlu menyemak jadual vaksinasi sekolah ya. Sekiranya nama sekolah anak belum keluar lagi, kita mohon supaya ibu bapa menghubungi pihak sekolah bukan hubung KKM ya, kerana KKM tidak tahu jadual vaksinasi setiap sekolah. Dan ibu bapa kita mohon membawa anak mengikut tarikh tempat dan masa yang telah ditetapkan dalam jadual ya. Uh, dan kita mohon ya kerana mereka sebagaimana Dr. Nick katakan tadi, kerana mereka berada di bawah 18 tahun, ibu bapa perlu menandatangani borang persetujuan vaksinasi ya. Dan sekiranya mereka tidak dapat hadir, ibu bapa atau penjaga yang sah ni tadi uh, perlu mewakilkan ya kepada orang dewasa berumur 18 tahun untuk membawa anak mereka ke tempat vaksinasi. Di sini kita mohon ya agar ibu bapa atau penjaga salah seorang ya daripada dewasa hadir untuk tiga sebab. Yang pertama untuk mengetahui ya sama ada pada hari temu janji ini tadi boleh tak remaja ini disuntik? Adakah ia sihat untuk disuntik? Yang kedua sekiranya ya, sebagaimana kita tahu Uh, vaksin mungkin ada kesan sampingannya sama ringan, sederhana. Kita perlu, eh, sekiranya perlu ke, uh, petugas kesihatan uh, ingin melakukan intervensi terhadap kanak-kanak tersebut, kita perlu ada satu orang dewasa yang boleh memberikan persetujuan untuk intervensi dilakukan. Yang ketiganya, kita tak tidak mahu remaja ini selepas uh, divaksinasi, selepas dilepaskan oleh pusat pemberian vaksinasi di sekolah ataupun PPV, berjalan seorang balik rumah. Kita mahu ada orang dewasa yang mengawasi kanak-kanak tersebut ya. Dan sekiranya akhir sekali kita minta ibu bapa ya, apabila anak dia tidak boleh hadir mengikut jadual ditetapkan, perlu maklum kepada pihak sekolah ya kerana apabila mereka tidak hadir, remaja yang ini kita dalam kategori ini kita beri temu janji baru melalui masjidahtera dan kemungkinan tempat yang akan divaksinasi sama ada di klinik kesihatan mahupun di uh, klinik swasta ya kerana uh, bila mereka terlepas tamu janji jadual sekolah mereka telah terlepas jadi untuk memudahkan mereka kita hantar mereka ke klinik uh, swasta ataupun ke klinik kesihatan ya melalui uh, masjidahtera tadi uh, kedua kategorinya adalah mereka yang pergi dengan janji temu ya Uh, ini kita khususkan untuk pelajar asrama penuh dan asrama harian serta sekolah pendidikan yang ada asrama tak kiralah sama ada uh, sekolah asrama kerajaan maupun swasta ya. Uh, kenapa keputusan ini dibuat bagi janji temu uh, bagi pelajar asrama? Kerana kita tahu pada masa ini sekolah ditutup dan kita ingin mempercepatkan mereka mendapat uh, vaksinasi. So sementara ya, sekolah ini ditutup mereka akan diberi janji temu 
vaksinasi di PPV atau sekolah dekat dengan kediaman mereka ya. Mereka uh, apa uh, sekiranya berlaku keadaan mana tersilap beri ya terbaik ada ke, uh, insiden yang berlaku di mana pelajar mendapat vaksinasi di kawasan sekolah mohon maklumkan semula untuk kita perbetulkan ya. So pada masa ini untuk kategori ini uh, budak asrama penuh dan harian vaksinasi mereka adalah berdekatan dengan rumah mereka. Yang ini tak ibu bapa tak perlu tengok jadual. They have to check uh, their child, the child uh, either theirs or their children uh, my sejahtera application for the appointment. Yeah. So in this context, it's slightly different. Uh, parents, yeah, kita tanggungjawabnya perlulah mendaftarkan anak through a depend as a dependence dalam my sejahtera apps. And if the child do have their own mobile phone, the child can register uh, in their MySejahtera apps as well. Yeah. Okay, then in, in this instance, khususnya yeah, if the parents yeah, duduk di luar negara ataupun parents yang duduk di luar negeri, yeah, mereka boleh menandatangani borang kebenaran dan menghantar secara fax ataupun email ataupun melalui WhatsApp kepada pihak uh, sekolah ya, atau bukan sekolah kepada wakil yang akan membawa anak tadi ke pusat vaksinasi ya. In this context kita tahu some parents will not be able to come but we need them to sign the consent form. Kerana walaupun mereka tidak ada bersama anak uh, tanggungjawab memberi consent masih jatuh kepada ibu bapa. And in this instances these parents perlu juga menyertakan authority letter to those who's going to represent them and bring the child to the vaccination site center. Yeah. Again, similarly, those who uh, cannot attend on, on whatever reason, they need to inform the school so that we can provide them with a new appointment through my sejahtera. And if they can't do it, they, have, uh, uh, they can help, they can inform the teacher or they can inform the PKD for help. Okay, the last group would be the walk-in group. This is where the, the, the adolescent that boleh berjalan masuk ke mana-mana PPV ataupun uh, uh, di PPV yang sedang memberi vaksinasi. Ini adalah dikatakan di bandar remaja yang berada dalam IPTA atau IPTS. Ya. Uh, kami mendapati ada juga remaja sebenarnya mereka tak layak diberi vaksinasi sebagai orang dewasa because they are not, although they are born in the, uh, in the year mereka umur 18 tahun and yet but yet they are not 18 dan mereka juga tidak tergolong dalam golongan 17 tahun dan ke bawah. And for those dalam kategori ini, mereka boleh bergerak ke mana-mana PPV dalam Malaysia. Ya, yeah? for the for, for kategori pertama, they can walk to any PPV dalam Malaysia. Untuk pelajar IPTA, IPTS, mereka hanya menunjuk perlu menunjukkan dia student card, ya. Yeah? dan mereka boleh mendapatkan vaksinasi dengan syarat juga kerana mereka di bawah 18 tahun they still need their parental consent and um, and they have to walk uh, uh, to PPV yang ada vaksin Pfizer uh, community of Pfizer sahaja ya because only uh, community has been approved for below 18 ya ada uh, group yang boleh uh, walk in adalah remaja yang tidak bersekolah ya Uh, maknanya dos not school termasuklah juga remaja yang menjalankan homeschooling ya 
So these are the number dua dan number tiga ini adalah true category yang kita benarkan untuk walk in ya. Uh, dari segi the parents is still the same criteria ya. Yeah? Uh, so please in, uh, for the media would like to to request your help to inform the parents janganlah serbu mana-mana PPB tanpa sebarang temu janji ya. Yeah? Uh, they have to wait for the appointment from school and we have apa kemudian kesihatan vaksin yang mencukupi untuk golongan remaja. Tidak seperti mana semasa kita melaksanakan vaksinasi untuk adult pada masa dulu, kita tidak, kita vaksin kita tak cukup ya. Tetapi sekarang kita mempunyai vaksin yang cukup dan kita akan memberi vaksinasi kepada semua remaja. That means that we are trying to reach as much as possible the 3.2 million di dalam negara ini. Irrespective of their citizenship status. I think saya berhenti di sini saja uh, Datuk Pengurusi. Okay, terima kasih Dr. Sairatu. Any, any question from the media with regards to ni, uh, proses pemberian vaksinasi di kalangan remaja? I think I hope people can uh, you know inform that uh, bukan walk-in ya, hanya uh, vaksinasi berjadual kan untuk remaja. Yang walk-in tu only certain category saja. Hello? Yes. Uh, Joseph from the star, yeah? sorry, I tak tahu macam mana nak raise hand, so okay, okay. mencelah je. Okay, okay. Uh, saya nak tanya uh, ni, uh, Dr. Saeed Atul, uh, because we uh, we had our reporters pergi ke Bukit Jalil punya PPV today, and then uh, dia diberitahu daripada uh, PPV sana that Uh, walk-in, uh, dia dapat surat uh, walk-in telah dibatalkan. Dia, dia kata macam tu. So, understand that today is when you start the walk-in for all those yang uh, tidak bersekolah, mereka yang layak untuk walk-in. So, um, so this thing, mungkin dia ada saya, apa ni? Uh, sorry. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, sir. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so okay. sebab sebab tadi su surat yang kita dapat tu uh, hang on lah daripada daripada your bahagian lah bagi pihak your bahagian. Okay right. Sebenarnya tuan itu bukanlah surat untuk orang awam. Surat okay. diterima itu adalah surat dalaman kepada Jabatan Kesihatan Negeri untuk membuat persediaan ya. Yang tidak ada kena mengena langsung dan tidak sepatutnya berada di tangan orang awam ya. Uh, dan sebenarnya itu sebagai persediaan ya. kita membatalkan ya, surat itu juga bukan untuk orang awam kita batalkan untuk negeri kerana keputusan telah dibuat untuk membuat vaksinasi secara berjadual isunya adalah apabila ibu bapa memegang surat uh, ke Kementerian Kesihatan Dalaman untuk dijadikan bahan bukti boleh bergerak kepada PPV Uh, semalam jelas ya kalau kita ada PC antara Timbalan Menteri satu, Pendidikan satu dan Timbalan Menteri uh, uh, Kesihatan satu ya menjelaskan inilah tiga keedah saja yang boleh dilaksanakan di PPV ya dan, uh, dan, dan tidak semua ya, untuk pengetahuan tidak semua PPV uh, akan menerima remaja ya tidak semua ya hanya ada lebih 156 PPV ataupun uh, uh, integrasi dan awam yang telah dipilih 
untuk membolehkan pemberian vaksinasi kepada golongan remaja buat masa depan ini. Dan kemungkinan bilangan ini akan bertambah. Kita akan cuba mohon mendapat keputusan untuk bertambahlah ya. Dan tak silap saya untuk PPV di Bukit Jalil tidak diluluskan untuk pemberian vaksinasi remaja. Kerana pada masa ini dia lebih bersifat untuk walk-in kepada bukan warga negara asing. Oh, okay. Je, uh, maknanya Bukit Jalil not one of ya. Sebab saya ada no. senarai senarai 156 PPV tu tenap, uh, di tu, letak di situ Bukit Jalil is one of the 156. So the Aziata is it? Aziata is one of it. Aziata di Bukit Jalil. So oh, okay. Sebab ini PPV awam Bukit. I mean Bukit Jalil yeah. is a different one. Huh? It's not. It's not a different. Ya, yeah, oh, okay. Bukit Jalil is for adult yang masih menjalankan vaksinasi walk-in untuk warga negara asing. Okay, okay. Understood. So, um, yang 156 tu memang hari ini dah boleh bermula lah ya? Dia, uh, dia untuk, bermula. Untuk yang layak layak walk-in lah? Uh, dia Atau tidak tak? untuk walk-in. Dia hanya untuk berjadual, sir. Where it means that oh. uh, the school has already, the school, the school apa, the, the, uh, the PPV has already set number of children that uh, have been allocated by the school yeah and walking hanya for those not schooling homeschooling or those IPTA or IPTS student at age 17 to 18 yeah dan golongan ni not not at the 156 PPV yang golongan tak bersekolah homeschooling go, yeah in this 156 PPV as well also can lah so okay. right. yeah the the problem that we face today Suddenly parents inform us semua anak dia orang tak sekolah. Okay. Um, okay, satu lagi. Bagaimana dengan school leavers? Mereka yang sudah habis, uh, they are not 18 yet, they're turning 18. Uh, hmm. Tapi dia dah habis sekolah. Jadi maknanya dia tak boleh, sekolah tak boleh nak inform dia sebab yeah, they're yeah. no longer part of that school. Lah. Tapi they're not, they're not IPTA student because uh, yeah. dia tak masuk universiti. How about that? Okay. Uh, for this group, they can walk to any PPV, sama dengan the IPTA study, they can walk to any PPVs in the country yeah, yeah. Yang, mem- yang, yang, yang memberi vaksinasi Pfizer and they bring in their parents and they sign a children punya consent form. They, uh, it's fine if they don't show that they are... Apa ni, it's fine, yeah. That's fine, no, eh? it's fine, yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Soalan daripada Kirtan tu ada raise hand tu. Tan? Um, yeah, I got yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, doctor, I wanted to ask because um, uh, just now uh, the doctor mentioned that uh, we're trying to reach 100% vaccination for teenagers irrespective of their citizenship status, right? Um, yeah. I want to ask what kind of efforts are we putting forward to perhaps invite or encourage children who, you know, who may be from rural areas Um, who may not be going to school or even children of illegal immigrants or those even like we're having citizenship uh, issues right now so they may you know have like a Malaysian mother but uh, they can't get into school because of citizenship issues and so on but uh, especially rural areas and illegal immigrants you know how, how are we going to get them to come in? Okay thank you for the question sir. Um, with regards to we call it as the hard to reach population yeah uh, similar to the adult approach we're going to use a uh, almost similar approach for example the outreach approach uh, outreach uh, to the kampung yeah 
and with, with, uh, for orang asli they ada uh, they have actually their own uh, task force to look for orang asli and as some of this adult approach has not been completed we would like to write on the, the same approach whenever for example for orang asli they go in kita kata uh, we go in not only for adult vaccinate the children as well uh, and if you go for the orang pulau it's the same thing and uh, we actually for ministry of health kami ada kita kata pasukan uh, bergerak ya yeah? uh, uh, whenever dia orang akan masuk kampung ya yeah? and through this uh, mobile health services kita akan beri servis kepada mereka di, di pendalaman uh, the biggest challenge should be uh, those yang gelandangan dalam Kuala Lumpur for example uh, ini kami perlukan bantuan daripada NGO NGO Uh, untuk mencapai kepada golongan remaja-remaja ini uh, For those kalau kata dalam tahanan di depo Kami akan kami bekerjasama dengan Jabatan Immigration Untuk memberi vaksinasi kepada kumpulan ini ya. Dan sebagaimana adult kita katakan Untuk vaksinasi ini kita tidak mahu pihak berkuasa uh, Menggunakan uh, dia kekerasan or, or, uh, penal- Untuk menangkap mereka kalau mereka keluar Yeah, we're going to use this kind of approach. Okay, ada soalan lain? Untuk Dr. Sairatul? Uh, Dr. Sairatul, just curious. Uh, what is about uh, about vaccinating uh, teenagers uh, dekat pedalaman pulau-pulau dengan orang asli? Uh, how do you determine their age uh, for those who do not have uh, proper documentation. For adults, we know lah, uh, it's okay, but uh, how do you determine they are suitable for vaccine? And, and also some, you know, uh, absent of uh, medical records. Yeah. That, yes, uh, I have to agree with you. Uh, that will be the biggest challenge how to de- determine because um, we really need them to be at the age of 12 before we can vaccinate them. Um, Yeah, we cannot you we cannot be yeah this is the biggest challenge that we have so probably then we need to have confirmation uh, from their apa tu di ketua kampung or their uh, whoever the leaders there to say their age yeah if you yeah i think our 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 people on the ground are quite experienced with these people kita we've been giving vaccination for more than 60 years sebelum merdeka lagi kemudian kesihatan telah ditugaskan untuk memberi vaksinasi i think there are ways and means for us to make sure we can assess whether are these people uh, you know uh, amenable or sesuai untuk diberi vaksin uh, i think we are going to probably try to get this uh, difficult to reach people kan as best we could yeah i think it's going to be a challenge tapi uh, i think they've been uh, they have experience we have past experience of doing this yeah Uh, Ministry of Health memang kerja kita, uh, memang kita pentingkan pendalaman rural and underserved uh, population. Uh, I think Dr. Sarato pun naik helikopter pun pernah ya, masuk ke dalam pedalaman dan sebagainya. <laughs> Our people using boats dan kapal terbang, uh, kita we, we, we will reach them uh, wherever they are, as, as best we could. Yeah? Uh, we charge, kita punya KPI 80% ya Dr. Sarato. By, uh, 80% by December. So we're trying our best. It's challenging, I know, tapi uh, that, that's our job. Kita akan cuba se, sebaik right. mungkin. Sorry, percent KPI itu for what? You mentioned 80% by November. Okay. Uh, it means that we, kalau kita ada 3.2 million ni tadi, 
we should be able to reach 80% of them by December. Is there any estimation uh, how many of these 3.2 uh, uh, from the hard to reach group or uh, the 3.2 is yang ada dalam pencil uh, saja and hard to reach group is uh, lain figure dia? Yeah, okay. Kalau kita melihat ya, kebanyakan 12 hingga 17 tahun, they are in school, ya. Yeah? Uh, we would say around 10% would be within this hard to reach group but that 10% at national level but it differs if you go from state to state. For example, the most challenging would be Sabah, where Sabah have more immigrants than any other states. Okay, uh, Mr. Tan, lagi sekali ada soalan eh? I see a raised hand there. Kirtan, yeah? Yeah, Kirtan, okay, sorry. <laughs> I got confused when you said Mr. Tan. Um, yeah, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm backpacking just slightly here. Um, but it was mentioned earlier that uh, it's not recommended uh, to take paracetamol for you know to try and prevent uh, uh, symptoms such as fever and things before going in for vaccinations, right? Uh, I was reading up some food guidelines that says the similar thing. Uh, but I was wondering if there's maybe I'm just one I'm thinking that probably parents are going to be worried and uh, could there be any recommendations of um, what they can do if not taking something like paracetamol, what can they do to try and like uh, avoid uh, symptoms such as fever and so on? Yeah, okay. Thank you for the questions. Yeah. Um, actually, the, uh, paracetamol and uh, uh, NSAIDs, we say, for example, ibuprofen, is not, uh, we're saying that it cannot be used at all. It can be used, but we suggest that it is used when, uh, when when they have the symptoms, eh? we have the pain after the vaccination or when they have fever. So that will be more effective in terms of uh, 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 ameliorating the, the symptoms that they have. And the concern why uh, most of the guidelines says that, that that we don't give paracetamol prophylactically or giving it before for, before the vaccination or preventing the, the pain and fever is that we, uh, that this is not, it's just not just for COVID vaccine, it's for all other vaccines as well. It's just a concern that, that it may not work, uh, uh, we, we may not achieve the best benefits from the vaccination. Uh, so, but for by how much, we are also not so sure. So because of that, we say that try to be uh, as best as possible, not to give before the vaccination, uh, but give it after the vaccination if the, if the child or the adolescents have the fever. Uh, or have the pain that they have to deal with. So there are other other ways for fever without the medications. For example, you can just uh, uh, give a sponging. You know, I have put uh, some uh, tapping uh, uh, tapping sponging on the on the body and so on uh, to relieve. You can uh, some people use cool fever, for example, to put it on. There are many other ways that you can try. But uh, I will not say that it is uh, totally contraindicated. But it's preferable to give the best. Uh, to, so that we will be able to uh, get the best result from the vaccination that we just hold on, wait until after the vaccination. And if they develop fever, yes, you can uh, give the paracetamol for, for the fever or the pain relief. Thank you. Okay, Cheryl from BFM, your question, please. Um, hi, I just wanted to check, um, will there be any action against parents who may choose to not allow their children to be vaccinated, um, especially those who are, you know, immunocompromised or who are from a high-risk group. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, for information, the vaccination is on voluntary basis. We do not mandate or make it mandatory to any parents. So it's up to the parents' decision whether the child to be vaccinated or not. Even let's say that if the parents agree or, or allow the child to be vaccinated, but at one end during the vaccine at the at the center, suddenly the child refused to be vaccinated, we will not uh, give the vaccination as well. So uh, both parents and child can say no to the vaccination. We do not uh, mandate, but we encourage it 100% because the benefit being vaccinated is above being uh, being infected by COVID-19. Dr. Zul, Dr. Zul is actually very experienced in, uh, you know, in vaccination, eh? I mean, immunized for life, and I think uh, as, far, as long as I can remember, you are in this uh, initiative. Can, can you give some advice to everybody? I think a lot of parents here, you know? Yeah, I think uh, what Dr. Sayedatul said is very true. Uh, we, you know, we tried, uh, as you remember, uh, some time ago, we tried to make it mandatory. There was so much of, of uh, opposition from people. So this is totally voluntary. So if the parents or the child decides not to have the vaccine, so be it. I mean, I, I don't think the government will, will punish them in any way. And what Dr. Saidato has said is, is what is the what is the truth, and and that's how it should be. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we are, we are approaching four thirty. This is actually beyond. Uh, initially, we thought that some part. Yeah. A lot of us have got uh, a few other meetings to attend. Uh, any 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 burning question from everyone? Besides uh, Haris, I don't know lain tak from other media. Kalau tak ada kita pergi pada Haris. Apa tu? Okay, kalau tak ada, Haris, uh, what, what will be your question now? Uh, okay, I just want to uh, have update if there are, uh, how many companies so far have submitted uh, vaccine uh, dosier for under 18 uh, to MPRA uh, so far? Uh, uh, or only Pfizer je? Under 18, uh, ada NPRA sini tak? I know that Pfizer have submitted and then of course daripada dulu is approved by uh, Pfizer for 12 and above. I heard apa tu Sinovac, tapi uh, Dr. Kalai, I mean anyone? Uh, yeah, thank you. Yes, Sinovac has submitted uh, for that purpose. Um, they are looking at the, at the moment, uh, it's actually 12 to 17, uh, not younger than that. So it's still in the process and the expert review panel. And so yeah. we'll have to wait and see what is the expert panel review uh, submit to NPR. Yeah. Okay. In fact, I think when, when we discussed with Pfizer, I think yesterday, last night, uh, I mean, they are, they are finalizing the, the 5 to 12 years old uh, vaccine for, for COVID-19. Uh, it's a different formulation. They, I mean, dosing is, I think, about 10 micrograms or 5 micrograms. I think, about, I mean, much lower than the 30 micrograms for adults. Yeah, It's a Pfizer vaccine yeah, for even uh, 5 and above. Yeah, uh, that, that is actually uh, uh, under, under review. Yeah. Uh, Fong Fong, yeah. Yes. Um, is there any concern with uh, children exercising after vaccination? Should they refrain from exercising, say, for a week or something like that because of the heart issue uh, problem? My, the, risk, the risk of myocarditis and pericarditis. So is, are there any advice on that? I think Dr. Nick, uh, Dr. Okay, Dr. Zul. Yeah, Dr. Zul, yeah. I, I can answer that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there is advice. In fact, um, 
the advice is for anybody after the vaccination, after this COVID vaccination, to actually take a break for about a week. Yeah. It used to be about three days, four days, five days. Now for children, we advise them for a week to stay and not uh, because in the US, it's believed that the teens who got the myocarditis were the ones who actually uh, got involved with activities after the vaccination. So it's a good thing to for two days before and then for about a week after that, lay off all forms of uh, activity. I yes. hope I answered your question, Fong. Yeah, yeah. The males, uh, adolescent males especially, they are only having suro relax one week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, any, anyone else? Uh, any, any question? Any burning question that you want to uh, bring up? Otherwise, I'll go one round with the panelists. Kalau dia ada apa-apa uh, concluding remarks. Uh, Dr. Kalai, anything else you wanted to say to the audience? Uh, I'm fine, but uh, the most important message still is the same, Dato. Uh, you must complete your vaccination dose as prescribed, including, of course, uh, the teenagers who will be given the two doses because the best benefit comes out of the completion of the two doses. The fully vaccinated status is the best status. Okay. Yes, kalau one dose is not enough. Even from our to data from our local findings, I mean, the one dose is not enough, especially for the Delta. It wouldn't cover for, uh, uh, for from preventing you to get infection. So that's our concern. So that's why we have adopted, even for the teenagers, two doses. Yeah. Uh, okay, Kalai, and then Dr. Nick Harudin, anything else you want to add? Uh, no, Dato, just to say that uh, I very much encouraged uh, every, the parents to get their kids uh, vaccinated, you know, the teenagers vaccinated. COVID is not, not benign anymore for children, and we are seeing yeah. more and more cases, so prevent by get, getting vaccination. Yeah, okay, I agree. That's our concern. We are looking at the data now, and for our country, we, we notice that this is happening, so that's why we, we need to make sure that our teenagers are protected as well. Dato Zul, I know you're busy. Ada apa-apa nak sambah? No, I think everybody, everything has been said already. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Benedict, Ben, anything from Sungai Buloh? Anything to add? Um, maybe just uh, from our press friends to um, help in the, in the um, I think that it's always been mentioned, the, the epidemic of uh, um, fake news and uh, misinformation. So I think the the press has got a, a big role to play there, you know, um, especially when it comes to vaccination. Um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, okay, because we don't want the, a, a pandemic amongst the unvaccinated, which is happening elsewhere, yeah? Uh, Dr. Ami Hamza, any, anything to add to the discussion? Uh, no, Dato. I think uh, I resonate with everybody and could have used. And I personally would like to um, mention what Ben has already uh, um, emphasized, right? And that is to give the correct, precise messaging and don't put it out of context. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, Dr. Sairatul, anything? Uh, uh, booster belum decide lagi kan, Dato, uh, Dr. Sairatul? Kita tak ada decide no. bagi booster uh, kan? We have, not, uh, we have not decided on the date when. And in term, uh, there are some discussion on who, but we yeah. still have to wait for top management decision. Yeah. Uh, okay, with regards to the, I, I do agree with every, every panel saying that, yes, the vaccination is important, but please, uh, we need the media help to inform us that, to inform the parents, basically do not rush and get the child uh, to, to any PPVs. 
please wait for the appointment. We do not want any outbreak yeah, among adolescents just because of their rush uh, of the parents got uh, rushing to the PPDs. Okay, Dr. Sarato. Uh, Dr. Sabira, our chief pediatrician of the country. Saya nampak ada nama situ tapi tak tak dengar, tak nampak muka dia. Anything to add? Assalamualaikum Datuk. Assalamualaikum. Anything to add? Uh, uh, yes, yes. I've been listening. I mean, it's all been said very well and presented very well. We have important, it's very important to vaccinate our young uh, adolescent. In fact, we have to look into how to get it to done to be our children as well. And uh, I think the side effect, I think it's very minor. We are going to monitor all the children as they vaccinate. And I think the benefit of vaccination is far way than the complication of vaccine. That, that's from us. And uh, we want the press to, go, to convey this message as we discuss in this uh, meeting. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Dr. Sabira. I think I would like to also thank uh, a lot uh, from our press, rakan-rakan media kita. I think because you guys play a very, very important role. Because the vaccine now, we are at the you know last mile. We need to make sure that you know we use this strategy, uh, make sure that we can get uh, people vaccinated, as many people as uh, as possible to be vaccinated. Now that we are not looking at you know uh, herd immunity anymore, because it's a moving target. You know, I mean, I mean, you're not you're not going to actually uh, catch up with the with the virus. So so now we are trying to make sure that as many people as possible that can be vaccinated will be vaccinated safely, and and that's our role now because uh, we are seeing the the uh, efficacy and then the results are showing in the number of cases, number of admission, number of death is coming down. We hope that the trend is going to continue and we, we need to move on. We need to live with the virus and this is one of the strategy. Yeah? Uh, we, we, it, certainly this is not the, the end. We, we are going to see more development and we are going to change the way we handle uh, the vaccination strategy as and when more data becomes available. As it is, the vaccine both is evolving. Either more formulation, good, better formulation, and we hope to see uh, better, more efficacious, and uh, less less side effect uh, formulation. Uh, you know, being uh, developed by the manufacturers. Okay, I think uh, with that, I would like to thank everybody uh, to, to for for uh, coming uh, for this session. We hope to have uh, similar engagement. Uh, as and when necessary, kalau perlu, uh, reach out to us. Kita akan cuba dapatkan the expert to come together and give uh, the, the whatever information that we could. Kalau tak dapat diberikan semasa uh, engagement session ni, uh, please email me or let us know so that we can provide the information uh, by email or by uh, other means. Yeah. Uh, with that, I thank you very much. Ada apa-apa from the Rusia? Kalau tak ada, uh, terima kasih banyak ya. Yeah? Okay, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. A very good evening, everybody. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you.